I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ, and we want to ask you to be ready with your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What matters in our relationship with God? I'll meet you there in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. What if you made a list of what matters with God? Does it matter how you use your time, who you marry, what local church you belong to, what friends you have, what you watch and read, what kind of preaching you listen to? Does it matter what we say and how we say it? Does it matter how we conduct ourselves in worship? Does it matter how we earn money, spend money? I believe an honest reading of the Bible will show all that matters. Everything I've mentioned matters to God. Well, what about our bodies, the use of our bodies? Does it matter to God what we do with our bodies? how we use our bodies. We are now at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. One prominent and powerful temptation in Corinthian culture in the first century was sexual immorality. And I think all of us believe sexual immorality is a prominent and powerful temptation today in our culture. We cannot watch TV, read a magazine, surf the internet, use social media, or go to your job without hearing or seeing something sexual virtually every day. Lewdness has become fashionable. And so in regard to this subject, it might be said that we live in a Corinthian society. Paul deals with that in the second half of 1 Corinthians 6. He responds to some of the excuses and slogans people used to justify sexual impurity. It is in this passage that he says, flee fornication, or shun sexual immorality. In this study, the question is not just about sexual activity, but generally, does it matter how we use our bodies? Does it matter to God? This passage gives the answer, and we will look at this closely, believing it matters how we use our bodies. This passage starts with this truth, and this is true for every single Christian. You were bought with a price. Now, this is not language, and this is not an idea that most people rejoice about today. In society, it is considered repugnant and insulting. It is viewed as offensive and demeaning to be bought, to be owned. Our thoughts immediately turn to slavery, and we do not hold slave owners in high esteem. We do not like the idea of a human being, a person, being bought or owned. 
So there may be some struggle against this. When you come to this in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, you were bought with a price. We may not want to think of ourselves this way. We may entertain vigorous self-concepts of independence and freedom and self-determination. A lot has been said about that lately. So to think about being bought and owned may be something we struggle against. I want to suggest a thought to you that may be helpful along these lines. Being bought and owned is not necessarily a bad thing. It all depends on who owns you and for what purpose. We do not want to be bought and owned by another human being or group of human beings and used in their service and for their profit. But this passage is not about being bought and owned by another human or group of humans. This is about being purchased by the Lord. This is about being owned by the Lord for the highest purposes. Now that's different. Not only is it different, it is the way it ought to be since we were made by God and in his image. Human ownership is repugnant and offensive. Divine ownership, however, is the way it ought to be since we were made by God and in his image. It is a great and glorious thing to be purchased by the blood of Christ and owned by the Lord. Let me ask you, before you were purchased by the Lord, by that I mean before you became a Christian, how well did you do in the management of your life and the use of your body? We didn't do a very good job. Paul said in Titus 3, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, Titus 3 and verse 3. In Ephesians 2 and verse 12, he said, at that time, that is before you became a Christian, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Earlier in Ephesians 2, dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, conducting ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Before obeying the gospel, when we were in full control and living under the devil's sovereignty, we didn't do so well. In the use of our time, our bodies, our money, and in our relationships, we didn't do so well. Under previous ownership, we displayed no excellence of character. We failed to glorify God. We were fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and heaven was not our destination then. Perhaps it should occur to us, we need to be bought and owned by the Lord. We need to live under his gracious ownership. And here's one way to look at this in simple terms. Do you want to be owned by the devil or do you want to be owned by God? Now that's the question. 
Jesus taught that sin is slavery. I know you've heard this and read this before in John 8, 34. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So either I can live in sin as a slave of the devil, or I can become a servant of God and live under his gracious ownership. Conversion is described in the New Testament in terms of leaving one master and giving yourself to another. Romans 6, 17 and 18. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This is not about leaving slavery and servitude altogether. No, this is about changing masters. When you obey the gospel, you leave the devil and having been set free from sin, by living under the authority of God, you become slaves of righteousness. This is a good kind of slavery. This is the kind of ownership we were made for. Christians rejoice in this. Christ now owns us, and in our subjection to him, we live as we ought to live, as we were meant to live. That's the truth. Now, this means you are not your own. Well, that's also something we do not want to hear. It sounds almost anti-American. It sounds bad to the wise men and rulers of this age. We may rebel against this. We want to say, I am my own man. A few years ago, a popular song said, I am woman, hear me roar. So in our society, that places great stress on individuality and independence. This may not sound good. You are not your own. But let me remind you of what Jesus said in the passage mentioned earlier in John 8:34. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. If you are not a Christian, not owned by Christ, you are owned by the devil. It might be argued, therefore, whether you are serving the devil or serving the Lord, you are really not your own. You serve one or the other. Wouldn't it be better to serve the Lord? Of course it would. That's the whole argument of the New Testament. Instead of serving the devil, you ought to serve God. Instead of being a slave to sin, it is better to be a slave of righteousness. So if my mind is where it ought to be, if I've learned the truth about God and about man, I am happy to confess, I was bought with a price, and this means I am not my own. As a Christian, I belong to the Lord. He owns me, and what he desires is what I ought to do. I am a servant of Jesus Christ the Lord who bought me. Now, we're ready for the conclusion. You're looking at that passage still, I hope. Therefore, and so, glorify God in your body. Now, I believe the best way to study this is keep it all together. These three points, they're all closely related. The confession of the Christian is we were bought at a price. This means we have an owner. You are not your own. 
Therefore, here is the practical impact of these things. Here's what I ought to do. Glorify God in your body. Let's consider what the Word of God tells us about the physical body. I'm going to make several points now about the physical body. I'm making these points from Scripture. Number one, the body has needs. The Bible recognizes that the physical body has needs. We are taught in the Bible to use legitimate means and methods to supply those needs. James 2.16 says, There are things which are needed for the body, such as food, protection, water, and care, when disease invades your system. Colossians 2.23 teaches that the neglect of the body in the name of some human religious doctrine may have an appearance of wisdom, but is only a self-imposed religion that is of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. We must, therefore, attend to the needs of the body, but we must do so through legitimate methods and means. Number two, the exercise of the body is secondary to godliness. In a recent Bible class, we talked about this in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Paul doesn't teach against physical exercise or physical fitness. He puts it in perspective. Bodily exercise has profit, but there is a kind of exercise that is far greater in value, godliness. Godliness has present benefits and contains promise of that which is to come. Number three, we are accountable to God for the deeds done in the body. God gave us bodies. We are accountable to him for how we use them. Please look with me at what is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it is good or bad. Romans 6.13 says, We are to present the members of our body to God as instruments of righteousness to God. We are accountable to God for the deeds done in the body. Number four, Christ should be magnified in the body. Philippians 1 verse 20, Paul wrote, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Again, 2 Corinthians 4 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. This gives emphasis to the previous point. Not only are we accountable to God for the use of our bodies, we ought to live and use our bodies in such a way Christ is magnified. 
That means people see him in us, in our use of our bodies. Number five, we are to present our bodies to God, Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is simply a summary of what the Bible teaches about our use of our bodies. The body has needs that must be met through legitimate methods. The exercise of the body is secondary to godliness. We are accountable to God for the deeds done in the body. Christ should be magnified in the use of our bodies. And Paul said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. It matters to God, and it should matter to us how we use our bodies. Now back to our text. We were bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. That means we are owned by the Lord. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Here's something I want us to think about now. The price of our redemption becomes the motive of our obedience. When I realize and remember how Jesus suffered and died in order for me to be redeemed, One effect of that meditation should be the faithful care and use of my body in service to him. The cost, the price of our redemption becomes the motive of our obedience. The truth is we were bought with a price. This means you were not your own and so glorify God in your body. Now, with all that in mind, what are the practical implications of what we've studied. I'd like to highlight three things in conclusion before we end the broadcast. One, when you become a Christian, you give yourself body and spirit to the Lord. This is why the words belief, faith, and especially trust come up all the time in the Bible. When you obey the gospel, when you become a Christian, you turn yourself, your life, over to someone you can trust perfectly, the Lord. When you trusted in yourself, you were living in sin. When you obeyed the gospel, you turned everything about yourself over to the Lord for his keeping and unto his glory. Number two, never accept any doctrine or theory that minimizes the use of the body. In the first century culture and in the religious culture of our day, you may encounter the suggestion that the body doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't count. The soul or spirit is the vital part. Therefore, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. No, that's wrong. You cannot read and accept what Paul teaches here without denying that doctrine. God gave us bodies. We are to use them and care for them unto his glory, and part of what that means is following his instructions. And I must say here, there are certain habits that should raise our concern in the proper care and keeping of our bodies. Certainly sexual immorality, which is Paul's main subject in 1 Corinthians 6. 
But we ought to bring into application here choices that result in damage to the body. Tobacco products, alcohol, illegal drugs must be considered, but also eating habits, the misuse of medication, and even the physical abuse we may apply to our bodies through neglect. And yes, I must examine myself about these things, as well as calling upon all of us to examine ourselves because it matters. God has expectations. Which leads me to this, number three. One thing that will greatly help us in living right is the recognition that we belong to God. This says you were not your own. This says you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The concepts and truth taught here is simple and will help us greatly in our daily endeavors to serve the Lord and avoid all sin, sexual immorality in particular. If I may express my personal feelings about this, I hope just to stress the importance of what we've studied. I'm disturbed by all the talk of lurid and lewd sexual references in the current news and media and entertainment world. It is awful that something so beautiful and affectionate that God put in marriage has become perverted into the bold, ugly pursuit of personal recreation and entertainment and lust. It is in our music, our movies, our language, our video games, TV shows, internet, YouTube, Facebook, shared links. There is a cheapening trend, this making of sex commonplace and fun for all, rather than the affection of husband and wife. It makes me sick. Let's understand and repeat to others what matters to God. And we can do that from this text. And let's protect ourselves with the Word of God. We are not outside the reach of these temptations. I heard the other day of a man in another state, well known as a faithful Christian, who shocked his local church when he came forward admitting to an affair of many years that had been hidden. We rejoice that he repented, but we observe that our alarm about sexual immorality is not without justification. Listen, please. It says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It matters how we view our bodies, how we use our bodies, and take care of ourselves. Perhaps this is the time when you need to turn your whole life over to God. You live for the devil in sin. That didn't work. You know the truth of the gospel now. Now is the time to give yourself to the Lord in obedience to the gospel. And if we can assist you in that obedience, please get in touch with us. Thank you for listening.